0: We are going to be all over the place this morning, so I can't really tell you as far as a text. Actually, I can. John chapter 1 is where uh, we'll, we'll kind of land in a little bit, but Harper just read Romans chapter 5, and Romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 5 has a lot to say, uh, but what I want you to kind of glean from that, that first text, and we'll, we'll come back to that at the end this morning, is the idea of hope. So in the Advent season... Uh, historically, there have been some major themes or ideas that the church has wanted to think about, meditate on. And so this morning, the idea is going to be hope. Um, what, what do we do with hope? Um, and, and specifically, uh, what I'm calling, you might just say hope on the screen, but um, specifically a loving hope. A hope that we receive from God uh, according to His word. Now, I've used this illustration before to kind of help us understand what hope is, but uh, it's been a couple of years, and we've got a lot of new faces in the room, so let me just set the scene for you, all right? I'm, I'm dating this girl named Whitley Moat, and she's awesome. And it becomes pretty clear to me as we go through college and are dating and are getting to know one another, I want to marry this girl. Um, and, I'm, and I'm pretty sure that she wants to marry me too, Right? But I haven't asked her yet. Uh, we've kind of had discussions about marriage. We've kind of had discussions about our future, but but'm I'm, I'm really starting to feel like this is what the Lord has for us. This is what I want, this is what she wants. I think this is what the Lord wants for us. And so uh, we uh, go to the beach one year. We go to Navarre and uh, Navarre, Florida, and I have this whole thing planned out. We're on the balcony of a hotel room with uh, where our family was staying. And we're walking through all these questions about what it would look like to be married and some things that you might want to think about with a future spouse, like how many cars do you want to drive? How many kids would you want to have? How would you do discipline? What do you think about money? Like just kind of brass tacks, practical questions. We're thinking through these things and praying through these things. And I pray over her. And as I pray over her, I get down on one knee and I pull out a ring and I open the box. And when I say amen, she turns around and I ask her, Will you marry me? And she says, I'm gonna have to think about that. No, she says, yes. She says, yes, right? Now, did that make us married? No, but we are now engaged to be married. And so I now have this hope, this eager expectation of something that has been promised to me. She said, yes, but it's not yet come. And so between her saying, yes, I will marry you, to her saying, I do, I'm now living in hope. I'm eagerly expecting and anticipating this future thing that I know is coming, but is not here just yet. I am confident of the outcome. I, I am confident that I know how this is gonna play out. It's gonna play out with her being my wife and me being her husband. And yet I still get incredibly nervous. I get incredibly nervous when I ask her, will you marry me? I get nervous when I stand in front of her and God and all these witnesses to walk through these covenantal vows. All my actions have led up to that point. And that that change in my life changed my life and my actions and my prayers and my thoughts. So what is hope? It's this eager expectation of the future. It's confidence in what's to come. It's a sort of being held in suspense. It's not flimsy. It's not a shot in the dark. It's actually tightly connected to faith. It's not like, I hope an SEC team will win the national championship. Like you don't know that. It's just, that's just more of a wish. That's not really hope, right? Hope has an object Hope can be secured. Hope can be put in a lot of terrible places. We'll talk about that in a moment as well. But if I believe in something and it promises to do something or be something in the future, then I'm going to hope for its promised outcome. So what am I going to do then? I'm going to orient my actions, my thoughts, my life around that expectation. Let me give you another example. When... I became an intern at Lakeview Baptist Church, and I knew that I was coming to Auburn, that I was coming to work at this church, that I was coming to seminary to be trained, to be ordained as a minister of the gospel. There were things that I did before that I don't do anymore. There were ways that I spent my time that I don't spend my time that way. There were prayers that I never prayed that now I'm praying all the time, like, Lord, help me remember all this material. Help me raise support for my family. Help me, the, the, the hope of what was to come, changed the way that I lived. The story of the Bible and the story of our faith is a story of hope. It's a story of hope. And it begins all the way back in the very beginning. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to kind of gloss through the whole of the Old Testament and see that that God's word is a word that gives us hope it tells us where to put our expectations, where to put our confidence, where not to put our expectations and our confidence. So we know in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and he created Adam and Eve. And in Genesis 3, there was this fall, right? There was this fall because sin entered the world. The relationship between God and man was broken. But this is what God promises in the third chapter. He's talking to the serpent, Satan, the deceiver. And he says, I will put enmity or strife between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise or crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. From the very beginning of the Bible, this story gives us a promise. God says someone will come to crush the serpent who broke everything. So let me pray and then we'll we'll walk through this together. God in heaven, we love you. We thank you for your grace and we thank you for your word because your word leads us to hope rightly, to put our confidence and our eager expectations in the right things or particularly in the right person. And that's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. So we pray that this morning you would give us all eyes to see the beauty of the story of the gospel as a story of hope. And that hope does not disappoint us. We pray that we would live in light of that truth as we wait with eager expectation of what we know will come when you come to make all things new and right. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So creation happens, the fall happens, the promise happens, right? All the way in Genesis chapter three. And the story of the Bible, the story of the Old Testament in particular, is a story of expectation, an eager curiosity to see how God's promise will be fulfilled. So you even read in Genesis chapter 4, you meet Cain and Abel. You meet the sons of Adam and Eve, and you might think, man, Abel is this man who worships the Lord, whose sacrifice is received by God. Could he be the one? I mean, God said he'll put enmity or strife between Her offspring, Abel is her offspring. Is this going to be the one that crushes the head of the serpent? No, he gets his head crushed by his brother Cain. And from the very beginning of this book, we start to realize that although some people might be brought before us as potential objects of hope, we will often find ourselves disappointed. The people of God throughout the story of the Old Testament are waiting, they're watching. They're hoping, they have this expectation that they think may come to fruition in their lifetime. We fast forward a couple of generations in the time of Abraham. God gives this promise that through your seed, through your offspring, all the nations will be blessed. And it says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And so you think as you read the story, you're like, Is Abraham's son going to be the one that's going to make all things right to crush the head of the serpent, to bless the nations? And then you meet Isaac, this miraculously born son, and you realize it's not him either. Maybe his son, Jacob. Maybe Moses or Joshua. Maybe one of the judges. Maybe one of the kings. Maybe one of the prophets. God kept speaking, and the promises got clearer and clearer and clearer. It's kind of like, Uh, There's a camera in front of us. It's kind of like if you use a camera that has a manual focus, right? You know how you can turn a focus ring on a camera and put something in or out of focus. It's almost as if when the promise of Scripture begins, you get this picture, but all you see is hazy color. All you see is the light, but you don't really see any detail. You don't really see any content. You don't really know what you're looking at. And the whole story of the Old Testament is just this focus ring turning. And slowly but surely, you're getting more of the content, more of the image, more of the idea of what you should be beholding, where you should be putting your hope. Sin separated people from God. And that rift in the relationship needed a solution that only God could provide. So like Moses, the people needed a prophet who would speak God's words to them so that they would know his word and obey his word. Like Aaron and the Levites, the people needed a priest, someone who could bring the right sacrifice to make them clean before God so that they could dwell in his presence. And like David, the people needed a king who would lead them and model to them the ways of God and how to live in light of his blessing under his rule in his place. This person, this promised one, this seed of the woman, focused on throughout the Old Testament is known as the Messiah, the Messiah. That's a Hebrew word that just means the anointed one, the one who was identified as the promised one. And so the people of God are hoping in him. They're longing for him. He's been promised, but he's not yet come. And so their hope keeps getting uh, extended into the future because they know he's coming. They know God has promised it, but they don't want to miss it. So to those who knew the Lord and sought to love and obey him, their need for a Messiah was not a surprise. Okay, so like it's Christmas time and we love surprises. But the story of hope in the Bible is not a story of surprise. Like you had no idea and now here you are. It's, it's not a story of surprise. As we'll see in a moment, it's the story of Fulfillment. So when I was a kid, I was probably 13 or 14, and I remember this is gonna date me. It's fine. Your parents are gonna be like, "You're not old." Uh, I wanted an iPod Touch. Okay, they don't even make those anymore. Uh, and I, I wasn't I wasn't cool enough or old enough to have an iPhone, uh, but I wanted an iPod Touch. I wanted a touchscreen. I wanted games. I wanted the App Store. Right. I don't want to click buttons to play music anymore. I want to live in the future, right? And and I told my parents like I, I remember I remember this was the first thing that I really like sat down with my mom and dad and said like look I really I really don't want anything else like you can I know that my mom loves to buy like a million gifts you can ask Whitley like Christmas time at my family's house it looks like a minefield it's insane especially now that we have grandkids. Unbelievable, right? There's just, and there's all these little things that my mom loves to just like think about people and see. And so she buys all of these little things and it's so heartfelt and it's so wonderful. And I'm like, mom, I want an iPod. You know, I don't need 37 pair of socks. I want an iPod touch, right? And I just remember all that whole fall, right? I'm like talking to my parents. I'm saying, hey, look, it's, it's a, there's a sale, Black Friday. Like, hey, $50 off, that's big, you know? I'm just, I'm putting all these bugs in their ear and I'm hoping to get this thing that I want. This thing that I think is going to be uh, the solution to all of my desires, right? Now, when they get to Christmas day, if there's an iPod touch under the Christmas tree, am I going to be surprised? As if like, this was totally unexpected. How did you know? Like, no, I have told you, Way too much, actually. And you probably shouldn't give me one uh, because of how much I've nagged about it. And that's exactly what happened. I got that Christmas morning. There's all these wonderful gifts and no iPod touch. And I had to learn in that moment that my hope, my expectations, my joy cannot be put in a thing because those things will fail you. Those things may never come. Those things may not exist. And so I needed to learn in that moment. It was a good lesson, but it was a hard lesson in that moment to kind of choke back some tears as a 13, 14-year-old boy who didn't get what he wanted, right? And I said, that's okay, you know? And my, I remember my mom and dad just being like, hey, is everything good? And I'm like, everything is fine. Like, really, everything is fine. Like, I'm so grateful for all this. And they're like, okay. So about an hour later, my mom says, hey, uh, I left my, I don't remember what it was. It was a, a, her slippers or something. Hey, I left something in the bathroom, in, in, my, in, in daddy and I's bathroom. Will you go grab it? It's like, yeah. She was like cooking or like washing dishes or something. And I go in there and on my dad's vanity is an iPod touch. Now again, did I feel like, oh, this is totally unexpected. How did they know? No, the tension of my hope has been released. I know what that is. And I've been looking for it. And now it's here. And in a much larger, eternally more significant way, the whole story of the Old Testament our Old Testament saints who have put their hope in God, looking, waiting, hoping. This image of a Messiah was clearly given. He'd be born of a virgin, according to Isaiah 7. He'd be born in Bethlehem, according to Micah 5. But here's the thing about hope. It often bubbles up and focuses on the wrong place. Just like I said with my iPod, from the beginning, God's people were putting their hope in places that they should not have put it in. Like Abel or Isaac Some might have thought it to be Moses, leading God's people through the waters of the Red Sea towards the promised land. Or maybe Joshua, the mighty leader who conquers all of God's enemies. But it wasn't them. Some might have thought David, the king after God's own heart, could be the one. And after 2 Samuel 7, they really thought it could have been Solomon, David's son, who would sit on David's throne forever and ever. This wise king who expanded Israel far beyond the territory of his father. But they too all missed the mark. Defeats. Conquests, exiles, broken temples, broken hearts. Over and over, the circumstances of the Old Testament seems to dash away hope. Over and over, the person they thought could be the one comes up short again and again. But God always makes good on his promises. So you should be in John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Now, I'm going to start in verse 43. Jesus has already called the first disciples in verses 35 to 42. And in verse 43, it says, The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree i saw you nathaniel answered him rabbi you are the son of god you are the king of israel jesus which should be no surprise is the messiah he is the one in whom all the promises of god find their yes And amen. And Jesus here in this text calls his disciples to follow him. And meeting Nathanael, Philip is not surprised by someone like Jesus, as though he had no concept of what he might be like or what he might be looking for. No, Philip's hope is now at rest. We have found him, the right person, this Real person, this historical person with a hometown and a family. What Philip found in Jesus was not a great big surprise. It was relief. It was rest. It was peace. It was the reminder that his hope had not been in the wrong place. But Nathaniel is skeptical, right? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, what is that even even about? What is... What is Nazareth known for? When he meets Jesus, there's this strange conversation to us, but one that would have made all the sense in the world to Nathanael, right? How do you know me? Nathanael says, kind of incredulously, kind of like, I don't know who you are. How do you know who I am? And Jesus says something. He says, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, what was going on under that fig tree? The answer is, I don't know. The text doesn't tell us. We don't know what was going on. We don't know what was going on in Nathaniel's heart. We don't know what was going on in Nathaniel's mind. We don't know what was going on in Nathaniel's actions. But whatever was going on, Nathaniel was convinced that Jesus should not have known. Jesus should not have known what Nathanael was doing or where Nathanael was or what was up with Nathaniel when he was under that fig tree this knowledge then is supernatural knowledge jesus knew nathaniel how do you know me nathaniel says jesus responds basically by saying oh nathaniel i know you and nathaniel's response is to be our response to seeing jesus for who he is a confession of the truth you are the son of god you are the king of israel Seeing Jesus for who he is leads us to put our hope and our faith in him. Jesus is the true prophet who speaks the words of God to his people, just like Moses showed us. But he is more than that. Jesus is the word of God incarnate. Jesus is the true priest more than the than the Levites and Aaron who offers a perfect sacrifice so that the sinful people can dwell in the presence of God. But he is more than that. He is the Lamb of God. He's the sacrifice itself that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, more than David, is the true king who leads God's people to follow God's way and live under God's rule. But he is more than that. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords who models godliness perfectly because he is God himself. Our hope in Jesus is hope in the right place. Philip and Nathanael, like those generations before them, had been waiting and hoping and waiting and hoping. And now the promised one was before their eyes. That leads us to where we began in Romans chapter five. Romans chapter five. So we've seen loving hope promised in the Old Testament. We've seen loving hope fulfilled here in John chapter 1 and through the story of Jesus. And now as we get to the New Testament, the rest of the New Testament, and to our own day and our own time and our own circumstances, we see number three, loving hope continued. Continued. As we read in Romans 5, Paul is confirming That we are justified by faith in Christ and therefore we have real peace with God right now. In other words, the peace that Philip and Nathaniel found in meeting Jesus as the promised one is the same kind of peace that we can find by putting our faith in who he is and what he's done. And the good news of this storyline of scripture, this story of gospel hope, is that the first coming of Christ shows us that the hopes of the Old Testament saints we're not misplaced. Therefore, now as believers, we can trust that our hope in the second coming of Christ is also not misplaced. He was faithful here. So we know he will be faithful there. Jesus really is the one we've been needing. He really is the one we've been looking for. But the peace that Paul talks about here the peace that you and I have to where we can be at rest in our hearts and in our minds before God, that peace does not take away the difficulties of our life, nor does it remove the fact that we have to continue to wait for his return. Both our difficulties, our sufferings, as Paul calls them, test us and mold us. They show us that we are really likely in our own strength to put our hope in other places. Like the Old Testament saints, you and I can look at good things in our life or good people in our life or even bad things and bad people in our life and place our hope in them. We put our eager expectations on them, thinking that they're going to give us what only Christ can give us. But if we're putting our hope and focus on Jesus, then our sufferings not just test us, They produce something in us. Look again at Romans 5. He says in verse 3, Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So our sufferings produce endurance. It produces in us the ability to keep waiting. Keep waiting. Waiting for the right thing, the right person. And that endurance, that waiting produces character, which is qualities in us that reflect who God is correctly. And as we wait, and as we model godly character, as we live in Christ-likeness, that character produces more hope. And as Paul encourages the Romans, and as God's word encourages us, Hope does not put us to shame. Students, you will not finally be disappointed if you put all of your hope in Jesus. You will be eternally disappointed if you put your hope anywhere else. You will not finally be disappointed. In the end of all things, forever and ever, a trillion years from now, you will not be disappointed if you put all of your hope in Christ. But if you put your hope in other places, it's going to lead you to ruin. It's going to lead you to heartache. It's going to lead you to pain. We will not be disappointed at the end if our hope is in him. Why? Why will we not be disappointed? Well, the answer is love. Because God loves us. It's because God loves his people. It's because his love, as Paul says in Romans 5, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. The Spirit keeps our hope in check. The love of God sent promises of a Messiah. The love of God sent Jesus to be that Messiah, to be our Savior and Lord. The love of God in Christ fueled his obedience to the point of death. Just skip down a couple of verses to verse 8 in Romans 5. It says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is all because of the love of God. The love of God then sent his spirit to dwell within us. So, students, as we come to this kind of beginning of the season of Advent, as we think explicitly and with concentration on what it means that Christ has come and what it means that he will come again, we have hope. We know that our world is broken, we know that our hearts are sick. And wounded. We know that there are going to be good days and bad days, easy days and hard days. If you remember in the spring, we went through Ecclesiastes. That's not a surprise to anyone. Our circumstances are hard. There is not a person in this room that if we were all honest with each other, doesn't have something incredibly difficult going on in their life right now. So we long for Jesus to come and make all things new and right but the promise of Advent that Jesus came and fulfilled the hopes of those who came before him. The promise that we now hope in is that he will come again and do the same for you and me. But that promise is yours only if you put your hope in him. That hope that all things will be made right is only for you to cling on to if you've let go of everything else and turned to Jesus. The promise that you have for eternal life is freely given to you if you would receive it by faith, believing that Jesus really is who he is, the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Israel, the promised one. And what that requires is letting go Of putting your hopes in the wrong places, putting your hopes in the wrong people, putting your hopes in yourself, putting your hopes in your achievement, putting your hopes in your obedience, putting your hopes in anything other than Christ has done it all. So you can turn from those old ways of living, those old patterns of behavior, those sins that constrict us and bind us and fill us with hopelessness. You can repent and you can turn to the one who's been promised, who came and is coming again.